I bet you wish you could preach after that. My goodness, thank you so much. It's a joy for my family and I to be here today. We are so grateful for the honor and the invitation and thankful for this time of worship. I'm a friend with your pastor. We've been friends since seminary back when we were in our early 20s. Both of us had a full head of hair and we were learning all about the Word of God in North Carolina to go to the nations and take the gospel uh, to the world. So I am so grateful to be here today with my family and we have already been blessed and we're excited to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning. I heard about a a preacher one day on a Sunday morning right after church. This is back when the preacher used to stand at the back and shake everybody's hand as they were leaving. I heard about a preacher who was back in the back shaking everybody's hand. He saw a little girl off to the side and she was just waiting to talk to him. And finally, everybody else left and she came up to him and she reached down into her pocket and she pulled out a quarter. And she gave that quarter to the pastor. Now, all, for all he knew, this was her last quarter, uh, the last bit of money that she had. She, he said, no, sweetheart, I can't take this. You're so sweet, but I can't take your money. She said, no, pastor, you need this more than I need this. He said, no, I can't. No, she insisted. So he took the quarter. And he looked at her and said, you're just so sweet. Thank you so much. And she said, well, my daddy said, you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. So I want to make sure you had some." I told that story just a few months ago, and before I left, everybody was giving me a quarter. And so, hopefully today, we'll do a little better, okay? Find in your Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and I'm going to speak on this subject this morning. What to do when you don't know what to do? What to do when you don't know what to do? No matter how smart or intellectual you are, how prominent or influential you are, how godly, holy you are, I promise you there will come a moment in your life where you face a circumstance or situation and you don't know what to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see a king face a situation just like that. He faces a dilemma, and no matter how much experience he has, or how many military generals he has, or how much expertise he has, he doesn't know what to do. He didn't have time to search the scriptures and memorize some new verses that say, do not fear. He didn't have time to take a seminary course. He didn't have time to sit down with his Christian counselor. He didn't have time to take a poll on Facebook. He did not know what to do. But he gives us an example. He sets for us a framework for how we are to respond when we face situations in life where we are uncertain and it seems unclear what our next steps may be. So we're going to learn this morning about King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read verses 5 through 12 and then we'll fill in the blanks as we go throughout the message this morning. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 5. If you're there, say, let's go. All right, verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it. And have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, 
We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now here's the situation. Verse 10. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, now they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possessions which you've given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? Father, in this moment, speak through your word. Jesus Christ, be uplifted and exalted. Holy Spirit, have freedom to work and to move. Save souls, change lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'll be honest with you. I haven't heard a whole lot of sermons on Jehoshaphat. This might be the first time you've heard a sermon on Jehoshaphat. A lot of us don't know the story of Jehoshaphat, and I've never met anyone who named their kid Jehoshaphat, all right? Not one of the most popular characters in the Old Testament. But I can remember the first time I learned about a guy named Jehoshaphat. I was at Second Baptist Church in Warner Robins. That's the church where I grew up. It's the church where I pastor today. And I was in the kids' choir. And I can remember, I used to always like to have the lead role in the kids' choir, whatever it could be, right? Funny, I'm a pastor now, but I like to, to be the lead. So I tried out to be King Jehoshaphat in the play. And you know what the play was called? Fat fat Jehoshaphat. You could not get away with that these days. You'd be canceled. You could not get away with calling him fat, fat Jehoshaphat. The whole play, I had a pillow stuffed under my robe, right? And then they had the time of prayer and fasting and I came out. The pillow was gone. I was very skinny. I still remember. I still remember. He's fat, fat Jehoshaphat. What a good, good king is he? He's a good, good king who's everything a good, good king should be. Everybody loves him. He's the one we all adore. Because fat, fat Jehoshaphat loves the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Be in the the choir here next Sunday. But I remember the story of Jehoshaphat. And one of the things that stood out to me was this. Even as a child, in a moment of great distress, fear, worry, and concern, he turned to the Lord. And God delivered. So we're going to talk this morning about how we're to respond in those moments of uncertainty, when we lack clarity, when there's confusion and we don't know what to do because in reality, we will all face those moments. Jehoshaphat has no military strategy to deal with this. There are no generals there to give him advice or counsel. He just needed to admit to God, I don't know what to do. So number one, when you find yourself in that situation, pause for a moment, remind yourself of who God is. Remind yourself of who God is. We see this in verses five and six. So when the king did not know where to turn, he decided to turn to God. 
He's facing a battle he cannot win, an enemy he cannot conquer. He is facing a victory that he cannot earn. So he knows that he is desperate for the work of God in his life and a move of God on behalf of God's people. He stands up before the people. He's the king. He's elevated in their eyes. He's supposed to be the one who has all the answers. He's supposed to be the one with the most information. He's supposed to be the one with all the strategy. And he looks at all of these people who are looking to him for the answer. And he says, I don't know. How hard is that? Like, even if you lead a business or you lead a a Sunday school class or you lead a family, leaders are supposed to have all the answers. A, a, A true leader is honest and knows where to find the answers even if they don't have it. This is what Jehoshaphat does. What does he do? What's the key winning military strategy? Jehoshaphat says, we need to pray. That's what we need to do. We need to pray. That's it. He prays. He's, he, he knows that there's only one who has the power to deliver. There's only one who can bring peace. There's only one who can give victory. So he prays. Verse 5 and, and verse 6 show us Jehoshaphat is afraid. He stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He said, here it is. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. What is he doing? He's reminding himself of who God is. God, you are the one who is king and Lord of everything. You are the one who's the ruler of kingdoms and nations. You are the only one who's in charge and who's in control. I I love that phrase. Maybe you underline in your Bibles. If you do, you need to underline that. Right there in verse 5, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Do you know what Jehoshaphat is doing? He sees the enemy coming his way, and not just one nation, but three. An axis of evil headed his direction to completely destroy and annihilate them. And while he looks and sees this king and that king and another king, he reminds himself who really is king and Lord of all. And he says, you're the one who rules over all the kingdoms and all the nations. God, you're the one who's in charge. Hey, it's important for us to do that even today. We see wars, famine, genocide. We see a conflict with Russia and Ukraine and we wonder what's going to happen. The geopolitical landscape is uncertain. We see China taking aggression, Taiwan, what's going to happen? And we look around and wonder who's really in charge. Is it Washington? Is it the White House? Lord, I hope not. Who's really in charge? Who's in control? What was true then is still true to this day. He's the one who's in charge of kings and kingdoms. And nothing is able to happen that is outside of his purview and his control. So this is astounding, really. All the people look to the king for answers They want to know, what can we do? And the king says, don't look to me. Look to the true king. Look to God alone because he's the one who has the answers. This is what you have to do when you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do. You feel discouraged. Your batteries are depleted. You are desperate and you don't know which way to turn. I'm going to tell you real quickly, you need to go back to the source and you need to remind yourself of who God is. I got a friend um, who owns a Tesla These are pretty new 
cool electric vehicles. And from what I can understand, some of the most uh, advanced technological cars that have ever existed. These things uh, can drive themselves. You don't even have to put your hand on the wheel. Not only that, but you can, uh, the coolest thing about it is you can make your horn say anything you want your horn to say, all right? So like you can, you can it, it could sound like a train coming through. It's like, doesn't just do a beep beep thing, right? It's pretty cool, pretty cool cars. And my friend always drives his Tesla, completely electric vehicle. Very, very nice. Well, just this past week, we were getting together to work out. We play racquetball a couple times a week, so we were getting together. And I noticed that he pulled up in a really nice Jeep. One of those trucks, right? It's a Jeep, but it's a truck. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody do like this? All right. If you don't know, just do like this. And if you're confused, you just do like this, and we'll, we'll know. You know. So I noticed he pulled up in his truck, or his Jeep. I was like, man, I really like the Jeep. Did you get rid of the Tesla? He said, no, 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 no. I didn't get rid of the Tesla. I just forgot to plug it in last night. And I thought, okay, like this, this highly advanced technological electric vehicle, and you still forget to plug it. I, you'd think the Tesla would be like, yo, hey, plug me in before you go to bed. It's not, not that smart. And here's what I thought in that moment. Here's what I thought. Tesla has to be plugged in to be useful. It's got to be plugged in or it's going to run out of batteries. And for you and for me, listen, if we do not discover our source, we will be depleted, discouraged, and defeated. This is why the word of God and prayer and the church of Jesus is so important. Because here's where you get your batteries recharged. When you open the word and you discover its truth and its power, when you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, when you fellowship with believers, when you worship the living God, that is where you are restored and recharged. And I'm telling you something, you're not going to get that if you show up here every four weeks, every six weeks, Christmas and Easter. You need to be faithful to the body of Christ, faithful in the word of God, faithful in prayer all the time. That's where we find our source in the word is where I remind myself of who God is and all that he's done for me. It's right here in the word of God. And so first of all, you need to remind yourself of who God is. Secondly, Remind yourself of what God can do. Secondly, remind yourself of what God said. Verses seven through nine. Jehoshaphat was afraid. You would be too. We don't need to pretend like we'd be bold and strong and courageous in a moment like this. Sometimes we like to put ourselves in those situations. If I was Jehoshaphat, I'd have been a bold military leader. I'd said, follow me like Braveheart, Mel Gibson. I'd say, let's go. We're going to, even if we die, we're going to win this battle, right? But when we're faced with those situations, the reality is fear takes a hold and we don't know what to do. Remind yourself of what God said. And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat does. Let's go back just a couple of verses before the ones we read a moment ago. Verse 3 and verse 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. What did they do when they didn't know what to do? They turned to God. I love that phrase. He set his face to seek the Lord. One thing I know about this church, and there are many wonderful things to know about Sherwood Baptist Church, but one thing I know is that this is a praying church. 
There's no such thing as a powerful church without it being a praying church. There's no such thing as the power of God in your life without being a praying person. It is prayer that connects us to the divine intention of God and the Holy Spirit of God that leads and guides his people, the leaders of this church, the pastors, those that, those that serve in this church, the deacons and, and the Sunday school teachers, the life group leaders. It is prayer that drives, it is prayer that drives the intention of this church as you seek to reach the nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here, what does Jehoshaphat do? He prays. I want you to know something. God has promised ultimate victory for his people. Do you know that? Now, I want to be clear. I do not want you to interpret this as some health and wealth, prosperity gospel where everything's always okay, life's always roses. If you ever have a struggle, then it must be sin in your life. That is not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches that God is a God who delivers and God is a God who offers victory in this life and in the life to come so that we can have abundant life here and eternal life hereafter. But for those of you who are walking through a struggle, listen, God sometimes will deliver you out of the struggle. Other times he'll deliver you through the struggle, but you we'll see the victory that he's promised ultimately and completely one day in Jesus Christ. And so here he is promising the people that they will be victorious and Jehoshaphat has to go back and remember what God had promised his people. Look at verse seven, what does he do? As he's praying, he reminds God of something that God did all the way back in the book of Genesis. Did you not, our God, Drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. By the way, don't you love how Abraham is described here? What was Abraham's nickname? Friend of God. Wow. I don't, I don't know how people would describe you. I mean, if we could use one phrase to describe you, what would it be? Powerful businessman. Highly intellectual. Super funny. Encouraging. Would it be friend of God? Think about that. Abraham, your friend. So, so what is he doing? He's going back and he's reminding God of the promise he made to Abraham all the way in Genesis chapter 12 when he said to Abraham, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. I'm gonna give you this land. This land will be yours forever. And so here's what Jehoshaphat sees. He sees these nations coming, trying to destroy the people of God, trying to take the land from God's people. And he's reminding God, this was your promise. You gave this to Abraham and his descendants. And here, now, I'm claiming this promise that you will give us the victory that this will be our land forever. Think about it. Not only does he remind God of what he said, but he believed God. Verse 9, if you just look a couple of verses ahead, here's what he says. You will hear and save. He's not just begging God to show up. He knows God will show up because God is a God who always keeps his promise. Always keeps his word. No matter what circumstances they encountered, they believed the promise of God. Now, I have five kids. We fill up a whole row right over here at Sherwood Baptist Church. And you need to put me at the top of your prayer list. I have five kids. I have three teenagers. We're 18, 16, 15, 12, and 10, okay? So, yeah, we call it beautiful chaos, right? I had hair before I had children, all right? Now it's all gone. Some of you are still teenagers, so you may think, what's the big deal about having teenagers? One day you'll have a teenager and you'll figure it out yourself, okay? <laughs> Love my family. We are so blessed. We're, we're grateful and we're thankful to all be here today. But I'm going to tell you one thing I do as a dad. 
As a dad, I try to be very careful about what I do promise and what I don't promise my kids. So think about it like this. Dad, can we go get ice cream after church? I will say something like this. I'm not sure, maybe, we'll see. Okay? Right? I'm not sure, maybe, we'll see. And then a little later, they'll go to mom and they'll say, hey, mom, can we go get ice cream? Dad said we could. He promised. Right? You know what I'm saying? Or sometimes they'll come ask me something and say, hey, can, can we go to this special place? Can we eat at this restaurant? Can, can we go on a vacation? Well, I'll say, ask your mother. That's like my favorite answer of all, right? Ask your mother. So I'm very careful about what I promise my children, even though my children sometimes will take a maybe and turn it into a promise. But I'm going to tell you one thing that I don't mind. When I promise my kids something, I mean, when I look at them and say, yes, we will. Yes, I will. I'm not offended when they come back to me and say, hey, Dad, it's time. You promised. They are taking my word that I promised I would do. And they're reminding me, Dad, you said we would. And I'm going to be a dad that keeps his word. Now, I'm careful about what I promise, but when I promise, you can take it to the bank. And I'm telling you something. We serve a good God, a heavenly Father who loves to give promises, but he also keeps promises. There's not one good word that he's given to us that will ever fall flat or fail. He always keeps his promises, and he's not offended when I take the word of God and go into his presence and say, God, you promised you'd never leave me or forsake me. You promised that I'd be victorious. You promise that I'm an overcomer. You promise that I'll be, you'll be with me no matter what. He's a God who always keeps his promises. Take the word to the God of the word and claim his promise. Remember what God said, but you can't remember what you don't read. You think, well, I'm just going to turn to a page and flip it open and see what it has to say, and maybe I'll claim that verse. Judas went and hanged himself. I don't know what to do with that, Lord. You can't take God at his word if you don't know his word. But when you know the word of God and God's word gets in you and you get into the word of God and the Holy Spirit begins to move and work in your life, what you'll begin to understand is on every page there's a promise of God, and he's a God whose promises never, ever fail. Number three, remind yourself of what God can do. Gave you a sneak peek a moment ago, right? Number two, remind yourself of what God said. Number one, remind yourself of who God is. Number three, remind yourself of what God can do. Now, we're going to be finished in just a minute, but I want you to hear this. This is the most important part of the entire message because I'm going to give you some practical things as we finish. God loves to show his strength in the midst of our weakness. Listen, somebody needs to hear this today. God loves to show his strength in the midst of our weakness. Jehoshaphat does not pretend to be strong. He knows he's weak. He doesn't call all the generals in and say, let's get a military strategy together. He's not... He's not reading the latest, greatest leadership book trying to figure this thing out. He knows he's weak. He knows he's doomed, defeated. If God doesn't show up, he's not afraid to show weakness and to request God's strength. Verse 12. Oh, 
our God. Will you not execute judgment on them? Here it is now. For we are powerless against this great horde coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Weakness. But it is our weakness where God delights to show his strength. Second Corinthians, Paul says, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I'm gonna give you three practical things and we're finished. Three practical things. So if I'm, if I'm living this, if I'm facing a situation and I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, what do I need to remember? Number one, admit your need to God. If you want God to deliver you from your painful situation, you have to get rid of your pride. You cannot pretend like you've got it all figured out. You cannot pretend like you've got everything handled. You cannot pretend like you don't need any help. You've got to get rid of your pride. You've got to admit your need for God. Look what he says in verses 10 and 11. And now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive out your possession which you've given us to inherit. Notice this. These were people inhabiting the promised land when the people left Israel, entered into the promised land. These were people they did not eradicate initially. And these are the people that come back and now give them a problem later on. There's a spiritual principle there, by the way. You need to completely, totally rid yourself of the sin that entangles you and leave it behind, destroy it, eradicate it. Otherwise, the enemy knows how to bring it back at the worst time in your life. And so here he says, these are the enemies that existed in the promised land and now they're coming to destroy us. God, what do we do? You know what he says? I need the Lord. Some of the sins that you struggle with today, some of the struggles that you're facing in life are the things that you allow to linger. And you never take it to the cross and you never walk in the victory that God has promised you. You have to admit your need to God, be honest. Secondly, you have to ask for help. Here's one of the simplest, most powerful prayers in the entire Bible. And I've prayed this from time to time in my own life. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't have the right words to say. There's no strategy. There's no plan. I don't know who to call. I don't know what to say. God, I don't know what to do. I just, my eyes are on you. I'm going to trust you. I love this because Jehoshaphat's the king. But Jehoshaphat the king doesn't want the eyes of the kingdom on him. He wants the eyes of the kingdom on the true king. So, So any... One of, the, one of the reasons I love your pastor is because I know, I know how he leads, I know how he preaches, I know his heart. And so any pastor or leader that wants you to look at them more than they look at Jesus, more than you look at Jesus, you, you don't need to follow that kind of person. Because a pastor, a true pastor, preaching the gospel, preaching the word, is never receiving glory to himself. All glory goes to God. A leader, a leader. A true, genuine leader doesn't receive glory to themselves. They give glory to God. Jehoshaphat, the king, doesn't want the glory for himself, doesn't want the eyes of the kingdom on him. He says, you need to look at the true king, the one who reigns, the one who's in charge. And notice, God begins to answer 
after the prayer of the king, all the way in verse 17. Now we're going to put the story together and we're going to see what God does. All the way in verse 17, God says to his people, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat says, don't look at me. Look to the true king. The true king then promises victory. You will not need to fight. I'll tell you something. Spiritual warfare is real. The Christian life is a battle. But God is the one who fights our battles. If we fight in our own strength and our flesh, we will fail. But if we fight in the power of the Holy Spirit, yielded to his will and purpose in our life, we have the victory promised for us. God fights our battles and he always wins. There's never a fight that God picks that he can't win. He always wins. How does this king respond? I love this. Verses 18 through 21. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites, these, these are the worship leaders. They stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and they went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he'd taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army, and they said, Look at this now. Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Did you notice the timeline of these events? They are worshiping and they are praising before the battle ever took place. Verse 17, God says, you're not going to fight. I've got this. I can handle it. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat says, I believe the Lord, even though I haven't seen it yet with my own eyes, and we're going to worship him. We're going to get the worship leaders. We're going to get the choir. We're going to get the praise songs, and we're going to begin to worship God even before the battle begins because we believe that what God said he will do, he will do, and he'll bring us the victory. So we talk a lot about worshiping in the middle of the battle. Worship before the battle. Worship in the midst of the battle. Worship after the battle. He's always worthy of worship and praise. And so here, man, they're, they're worshiping the Lord, rejoicing and giving praise to God, thanking God for his steadfast love even before the battle ever took place. And they, they go out worshiping and they see the enemy slain before them, gone, defeated. They turned on themselves. God provided the victory. Admit your need to God. Ask for help. Acknowledge God's goodness. Acknowledge God's goodness. Not only did the people of God not have to fight in this battle, God fought their battle for them. But God provided more than just a victory. Now this is good. I want you to hear this. God did not just give the victory that he promised. He gave even more than a victory. That's how good God is. God didn't just give you salvation through Jesus Christ and eternal life, but he can give you an abundant life filled with the Holy Spirit here. 
God is so good and so amazing that he doesn't just give us what he promises. He gives us far above, exceedingly beyond what we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. That's the kind of God that we serve. Verse 25, now let's look at this. What's happening? God had turned the enemy on itself. Judah didn't even have to lift a sword. Jehoshaphat didn't even have to lead an army. And then the Bible tells us there in verse 25, you need to see this. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Not only does God give them the victory over the enemy, he gives them the spoils of the enemy. Think about it now. Not only does God give us victory in this Christian life, not only are we saved, but God fills us with his spirit and empowers us to live for him, bringing him the honor and the glory. When God wins a battle for you, he doesn't just barely win, eking out a victory. He wins and it is a blowout. There's no question who's in charge. There's no question who wins. He is king and Lord. I'm gonna tell you something, we're done. I am a diehard sports fan. And I grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, and I have my whole life been a Georgia Bulldog. My whole life. My whole life. My mom and dad went to UGA. My sister, her husband went to UGA. I went to UGA. My wife went to UGA, and we're sending a kid to Athens in the fall. When I was born, I was Bulldog bred. When I die, I'll be Bulldog dead. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm a Bulldog through and through. I was too young to remember what used to be the glory days when Herschel Walker was running all over people on a field in the 1980s, the early 80s. I was too young to remember that. I heard stories of a national championship in Vince Dooley and Herschel Walker and Buck Ballou, but I'd never really experienced until the last couple of years. Back-to-back national champions, right? Now, if you are a Bulldogs fan, if you're a sports fan, these are the glory days, okay? If you're a Bulldogs fan. So, I need to say something before I get. Some of you, some of you are a little too spiritual to talk sports in church, okay? I understand. Some of you are a little too spiritual to talk sports in church. Here's what you need to do, okay? When you go home, you take two tums and get yourself a nap, and you will be okay, all right? Right? This is one of the things I think God allows us to experience, right? So we can just, I don't know, thrill of victory, agony of defeat. And so I, I remember December 31st, 2022. This is this past year. After we won the championship in 21, now we're in season 22. And I, I remember playing the Ohio State University, right? We've got some Ohio State fans in here. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. I have nothing but respect for Ohio State, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr. If you didn't watch the game, it was on ESPNU last night. I watched it again. It was a nail-biter. C.J. Stroud's the quarterback for Ohio State, and I think he threw for about 9,000 yards that game. He ran for another 10,000. He was tearing up our defense. We could not stop them. Finally, with just a few seconds to spare, Georgia gets a touchdown in the end zone, and Georgia goes up 42 to 41 on Ohio State. But they left 49 seconds on the clock, which if you've been watching the game, you knew that's too much time 
C.J. Stroud could snap his fingers and they'll be down in the end zone in a heartbeat. And so, man, I remember watching that thing, biting my nails, wondering, worrying, what's going to happen? Oh, my goodness, I didn't know. And so exactly what I thought was going to happen. Ohio State drove all the way to 35. C.J. Stroud had a great little run, got tackled. Oh, man, time's running out. As time is running out in the year 2022 and the clock is click ticking down, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ohio State sets up for the winning field goal. This guy had already kicked a couple of field goals. They were in the game because he'd made some field goals. And so I was like, that's it. We're done. We're not going to play for the national championship. He got up, and it was the most beautiful kick I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, he hooked it all the way to the left. It might have been on the sidelines over there on the left-hand side. Most beautiful field goal ever if you're a Georgia fan. And then January 9th, I mean, we barely squeaked out a victory. And then January 9th. We played Texas Christian University, TCU. And folks, it was a bloodbath. It was a blowout. I mean, Georgia broke records for the amount of offense, the points scored, and all the things. And I felt bad for the Texas Christian University horned frogs. I felt bad for them. I was like, y'all need to go back and you need to pray a little bit more, read Jehoshaphat, you know, trust in the Lord, whatever, whatever. Whatever it is, all right, because it was a blowout. And I began to think, I began to think, here's, here's what we do, here's what we do to God. Some of us worry, we're anxious, always wondering, God, are you going to come through? We're biting our nails and we're thinking God's just going to barely eke out a victory at the end. You know, like a three-pointer at the buzzer or a, a, a goal in soccer and penalty overtime or, or a home run in the bottom of the ninth or extra innings or that field goal at the very, that, that's how we live our lives. We think, God, I know that you can give me the victory, but I got to really stress about this here because uh, I'm just not sure how you're going to come through and when you're going to, I'm not in control. So I know you're going to give me the victory, but we're just going to barely eke it out here on, on this earth. God, when he promises you the, the, the victory, it's more like a, it's more like Georgia versus TCU than Georgia versus Ohio State. Now here, there's a spiritual principle here. I promise there is. God doesn't just barely win. We don't have to walk around all worried, fretting, wondering, God, are you going to come through? We don't have to be nervous. God, I'm trusting you. You just better show up for me. God, I, I know that you've promised, but I'm wondering and I'm worrying, will you really? Time's running out and I don't know what's about to happen. The enemy seems to have me in his crosshairs. No, listen, when God promises his children the victory, you don't barely eke out a victory. It is a blowout and God alone provides the victory and it's so amazing so when you look back in your life you'll be able to say, I don't know what happened. All I know is it wasn't me. It must have been God. That's the victory that he promises his children through Jesus Christ. All right, heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this place. In just a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. This is the most important moment of our entire service. And so I'm going to ask, unless absolutely necessary, just stay right here locked in. If you're watching online, don't turn your device off or your television off yet. I know our worship team will be moving to come into place. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and here it is very simply. Some of you walked in today, and you're in a situation where you would say, I don't even know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Turn to Jesus. You can trust him. 
Maybe there's never been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that today. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know who to talk to. Well, you've come to the right place. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray. We'll all stand and sing and respond. We'll have pastors, folks up here to talk to you, to pray with you. And maybe the moment we begin singing, you just need to walk out of your row and walk down the aisle and say something so simple, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. These folks can tell you what it means to follow Jesus, to know him, to experience the victory that he's promised. Now, others of you, you're walking through a dark valley. You know the Lord, but you're walking through a valley. And you don't know which way to turn. Maybe you just need to grab a friend, somebody in your life group or Sunday school class, or grab your spouse or grab your kids and come to this altar and, and just pour your heart out to God. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm gonna trust you. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of this church. Maybe you've been saved, you've never been baptized. I'm gonna tell you the most important thing here today. When you don't know what to do, turn to Jesus. Do you know him today? The God of heaven sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again on the third day. He conquered death, hell, the grave, and all of his enemies. He is seated now at the right hand of God the Father, and he offers hope, salvation, forgiveness, and redemption to anyone who will turn from their sin and repentance and trust Christ in faith. I'm gonna pray. We'll stand and we'll sing. You respond. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for his truth. Speak. Work in this place. Holy Spirit, have freedom. We give you the glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, right now as we begin to sing? Would you stand? Right now, walk out of that road, down this aisle. Come trusting Jesus. Come to this altar, whatever it is, as we sing.